It's typically pretty hard to find faults when your team scores 70 points and wins by 56. However, OU's 70-14 win over South Dakota on Saturday night certainly provided a lot of things the Sooners will need to work on going forward if they want to seriously compete for a national championship this season. For instance, it was very disappointing how sloppy the game was from a penalty perspective. The Sooners came away with 12 penalties on Saturday night, more than they had in any game in 2017 and 2018. Perhaps more worrisome is the penalties that occurred on the left side of the offensive line. If that side is going to struggle against a bad FCS team, what does that say about the rest of the season? Granted, Marquise Hayes was sitting this one out, but they should have been just fine without him for this one. The offensive line is still very much a work in progress, and I'm going to be watching next week really closely when they go to UCLA. As expected, though, the rest of the offense was largely great. The collection of skill talent on display is pretty staggering. Unfortunately, I can't share the same type of enthusiasm for the defense, which I thought took a step back on Saturday night from their season opener a week ago. South Dakota had a plan to attack OU secondary, and there were very many instances where it worked. Whenever the Sooners gave the Coyotes space to maneuver, they were largely successful. It didn't result in any massive chunk plays, but South Dakota was able to generate 19 first downs, largely from the slot. I'll need to rewatch the game, but it appeared that they did a lot of their damage on the safeties, which appears to be a very large question mark on this defense currently. The turnovers are great and all. It's awesome to see Buki and young Jaden Davis making nice plays on the ball, but giving up five and a half yards of play to South Dakota should not be acceptable for this defense. The Sooners had the same amount of success defending South Dakota that FCS team Montana had a week ago. That's slightly disconcerting. Now, it's possible I'm overreacting. After all, this was a short week going up against a team I can't imagine they did a ton of prep work on. However, you'd still like to see much more dominance. OU is going to need their defense to win a game or two for them this season. Games against South Dakota should be an opportunity to assert that dominance and build confidence. I worry they didn't do enough on defense to build that confidence on Saturday night. Although, it does appear they're going to get another opportunity against an overmatched opponent next week at 0-2 and offensively challenged UCLA. Let's hope OU's defense takes a step forward in practice this upcoming week and they go in the right direction when they play in Pasadena. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Three-man rush. They set up a little screen. This could go for six. Radley Hiles, touchdown Oklahoma. Brendan Radley Hiles welcomes us into today's show. His 30-yard interception return for a touchdown gave the Sooners a 35-0 lead early on in the third quarter Saturday night. It was one of three turnovers forced on the evening by Oklahoma, which went on to beat South Dakota 70-14. Hey everybody, I'm Lee Benson. You heard Grant a moment ago with the opening take. I got home from work late on Saturday night, early Sunday evening around 2.15 a.m. And before I went to, uh, before I went home from the News 9 station, I did re-watch the OU South Dakota game up until the Radley Hiles pick six. But uh, when it comes to things that happened after that play, when we talk about it in the podcast, my thoughts will all be from just kind of what I remember from being at Owen Field on Saturday night. Real quick, I'd like to thank all of you listeners out there for your continued support of West of Everest. The ratings and reviews continue to pour in. Most of them have been positive, so thank you for that. As many of you know, you can listen to the show by now on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. And to stay up to date with the show or interact with us, you can like the West of Everest Facebook page. Just search West of Everest on Facebook, and you'll be able to find us. Grant's on Twitter at GrantBenson25. I'm at LeeBensonNews9. And finally... If you don't have any social media and want to get a hold of us the old-fashioned way, you can send an email to westofeverest at gmail.com. So let's bring back in Grant now. And I've got uh, I've got to say, Grant, you said that you didn't have an opportunity to rewatch the game. And like I said a second ago, I did rewatch it up until that pick six in the second half early on. And uh, I don't agree with your assessment from your opening take about the defense, about taking a step back but that is a tease I don't want to start with the defense today I want to begin with the offense 
because I've got a couple of sound bites from Lincoln Riley, also from Jalen Hurts, which we'll get to in a moment. So as we bring you back in, I have a question for you. Which offensive player, because there was a lot that played Saturday night, who stood out to you most Saturday night on offense? That's tough. Um, I think of I, I think Hazelwood is is definitely kind of the biggest eye opener. Like I, I mean, I think he might he's he might be the second best receiver on the team already, at least with the ball in his hands. That seems to be the case. You know, having that been said, <laughs> Ramondre Stevenson was pretty impressive too. The way he just kind of broke away from everyone on that on the seventy five yard touchdown run. Uh, but really, I, they have. Just it's it's insane. The the skill talent that they have is insane. All all up and down the roster. They just have so many guys who can burn you. Yeah, after the game, Lincoln Riley talking about Ramondre Stevenson, he said, Yeah, you just see he's dynamic with the football. You see that combination of power and speed. And uh he's a player that you were really high on during the summertime and in camp and through the first two games. I mean he he looks the part. He looks really good. He looks like a nice complimentary third running back. Not even really a complimentary. I mean, he's a guy that if it wasn't for, you know, Trey Sermon and Kennedy Brooks, he might be able to carry the load. Granted, he's still learning the offense, I'm sure, but yeah, he looks good. Yeah, I, I mean the the explosion was was there. And that I think that's kind of what everyone was excited about when it came to him. And yeah, I mean he's he's fast. He's fast and he's big. And that's always a good combination. So um yeah, I, I think we're probably gonna see him get uh, a decent amount of run as the season goes on so OU scores 70 points accumulates 733 yards of offense averages 10.6 yards per play Jalen Hurts a near flawless night 14 of 18 through the air 259 passing three touchdowns passing added 47 yards on the ground and he was just ecstatic after the game it's about maximizing every opportunity you have on the field um, I don't think we did that today, but we'll learn from it. Um, I'm not going to be Debbie Downer, um, but we just got to do some things better. You know, we got to do better. That's the sound of a really pumped up guy, huh, Grant? Yeah, you know, I think he's, like we said last week, he's got that Alabama mentality where they just, you know, I think everyone realizes you can't really be perfect, but you have to strive for perfection. That's how you get better consistently. And. I mean, it's it's pretty crazy. They they put up a lot of yards on Saturday night, but they most certainly were not perfect at all. And actually, really sloppy at times. Yeah, and I I mean, obviously, I realize it's South Dakota. Everyone knows that. There's a giant asterisk next to it, you know. But he didn't sound very happy last week after Houston. So here's my theory. I think this guy is a robot tasked to get Oklahoma to play up to a standard that this team just has never gotten to in recent memory. Do you disagree? Yeah, I mean, I, that's his. That's what his goal is, pretty obviously. I, I think this is his leadership style, and I've been kind of going back and forth on this. I think that in this moment, I think, you know, Jalen Hurts might be what OU needs, what their program needs like this. They, they, they need a prominent leader who is just different and who is no nonsense. And I, I think Jalen Hurts seems to be that guy. And, you know, he's he's looked really good. I, I don't there there really hasn't I haven't seen anything yet up to this point that gives me pause about Jalen Hurts. I mean, he's he's been the best player on the team so far. All right, let's get into quick, just a little bit more on Jalen Hurts and how he played. And let's hear from Lincoln Riley after the game, because, you know, Riley has gotten to the point where his reputation is that when he talks to the media, he doesn't say a whole lot. But I do kind of like to hear him talk about his quarterbacks and kind of the way they played. And he doesn't usually give a whole lot of details, but uh, I'm just kind of curious to see if you have any thoughts on Riley's assessment of Hertz's game on Saturday night. So let's play what Lincoln had to say about how Hertz played. Yeah, I thought he did a good job. Uh, laid on a couple, uh, but, you know, continues to play efficient. You know, he's not. You know, he, he's he's been aggressive, but not taking chances with the ball. You know, and that's what good quarterbacks do. And I think as he continues to get settled in, he'll become more and more aggressive. But I was probably most impressed with, you know, he threw the ball again down the field so well. I mean, even the first one to CD that got caught back or got called back was, you know, was a again it was a big boy throw. So um, took some steps this week. Got to keep taking them. All right. So Riley was happy with the way 
Hertz pushed the ball down the field, and you already heard him mention that one early on in the game that didn't even count was a big boy throw. So you're uh, again, I know it's South Dakota, but did Hertz show you a little bit more of a downfield passing threat Saturday night? Yeah, I mean, there were a few instances where I was pretty encouraged with what I saw. In fact, I actually thought his best throw of the entire night was that one to CD that was called back for uh, because of holding. Uh, that was his best throw. Um, and then also, you know, the the long one down the sideline that CD somehow caught. I thought that was a pretty decent throw as well. Um, but no, I mean, really, the the most uh, the best thing that I've seen out of him, or at least the most encouraging thing I've seen out of him thus far, is he looks. I, he he looks willing to go through his progressions. I, I've seen a much more much more of a willingness for him to do that thus far in these two games than I really ever did when he was at Alabama. He was a one read and then take off and run guy. I've seen him uh, in these last couple games pretty willing to sit in the pocket and go through his progressions. Not like I'm not talking to the point of like Kyler and Baker. He's not doing it on every single play, but I've at least seen that willingness, and I think that's important going forward. Interesting to bring that up because we do see him get back there and sit in the pocket and go through his progressions and survey the field. And, you know, from our vantage point, it does look like he's he's going through each different read in, in his head. But there's one play and there could be more than this, but there's one that stood out to me, obviously, that uh, he was back there going through his progressions. But it's just clear evidence to me, though, that he's nowhere near at the level of Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield, which we all know that. Those are two Heisman Trophy winners, and we all know that Hurts' talent's just not quite where they are. But within this offense, and we always talk about how Lincoln Riley is a guy that's going to scheme open guys for you. He's going to give you easy looks, easy reads. That's a big reason why his quarterbacks are able to do so well, aside from the fact that they are just normally incredibly talented players. There's one play in the second quarter. It was on a first down play. It was about 5.45 to go. And Oklahoma was in a three-by-one formation. He had CD to the boundary side, one-on-one with a corner. And the corner was up at the line of scrimmage playing a press man coverage type look. And there's two deep safeties back there. And Hertz, he does a long kind of play action look to Kennedy Brooks. And immediately off the line of scrimmage, Lamb beats his man on an outside release. Immediately. He's wide open behind the corner and in front of the safety near the sideline. And you see CD turn his head and look back to Hertz. Hertz doesn't even look his way. He's looking to his right the entire time. And then by the time that Hertz does kind of come back to the left to Lamb, the safety has made his way over the top and the throat isn't there anymore. And Hertz has to hit eject and he scrambles for five yards. And again, this is the this is the kind of stuff to me that shows evidence that he just isn't at the same level as the previous two quarterbacks. And I'd have to go back and double check which game, but I think it was either K-State or TCU. This exact same route, same concept happened last year with CeeDee Lamb with Kyler, where he beat the corner off the line of scrimmage on the outside, and he's wide open in that kind of that, that space in the cover two behind the corner in front of the safety. And Kyler... I mean, noticed it pre-snap and just rifled it into C.D. Lamb, and Lamb took it all the way for a touchdown. It was an easy, easy touchdown. And missing plays like this against South Dakota, you know, that's one thing. It's no big deal. But missing a play like that against a, a better team, that could be costly down the line. So while he's going through his progressions, he's not seeing everything right now. And granted, again, he, he has not been in the, the program as long as Kyler and Mayfield were. So he's still kind of behind them in, in those terms. So you have to give him uh, you know, the benefit of the doubt. But you still see, even though he's back there surveying the field, that doesn't necessarily mean he's making the right calls every single time or seeing really what he's supposed to see. And I got to think that when he and Lincoln go back and watch tape and go through stuff, I got to think that that's, that's got to be pointed out multiple times because he I think he's leaving some throws out on the field and he's making some throws to some open guys but there's some other players there that are that are open as well that might be easier throws so that just stood out to me that one play in the second quarter and sure and you hope that that comes along as the you know as, as the season goes and you know I mean I've nobody nobody expect him to be as good of a thrower as Kyler and Baker I didn't at all um but no I mean I, I think you make a good point especially now in this era of football a lot of, of you know a lot of what you need to do against those elite teams is you have to recognize 
your matchup advantages pre-snap and just kind of go that way and hope that your guy is, you know, you trust your guy to get open and beat his man. And, and in that instance, that is something that you would think that Kyler and Baker are both good at. And, you know, that's a good example that you brought up there. So, um, and, 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 the, and the play that you mentioned, I'm sure, I'm sure that Lamb wasn't the first read designed on that play. Um, but you're right. It does, you know, the great quarterbacks are the ones who do recognize, hey, even if he's not my first read on this play, that matchup is really good there. And if he beats his guy immediately, I should probably go to him. And yeah, and so what it was, it's all about the pre-snap because, again, you have Lamb to the boundary side, so not a whole lot of room to work over there, but the way the corner was playing him up on the line of scrimmage and then where the safety was, because they were just playing two deep safeties, he was on the hash, so there was a lot of space. It would have taken the safety a long time to get over to help out, and that's why you could tell right off the line when Lamb made a little move and beat his, the corner to the outside, Lamb immediately turned his head and looked back thinking like, oh, if, if Jalen sees me, this is easy. This is an easy catch, and I got to beat one guy for a touchdown, and that was something that Jalen didn't see pre-snap. And if he did see it, he just he didn't. He's like, yeah, nah, I'm good. I'm, I'll go something else. Uh, who knows? You know, we're not in his head. But uh, it just that seemed kind of obvious and, to me on tape. And uh, so, again, South Dakota, it's not going to matter in that game. But you know, hopefully it's a learning experience. And later on in the year when that comes up again, maybe maybe hurts. We'll, we'll see that and, and he'll kind of isolate CD because early on in the game, it seemed like Lamb was the guy that he was looking to. And he was almost staring him down a lot and, and trying to force feed him the football. And yeah, I think they, that was a plan for sure coming into the game. They wanted to to throw it to CD. They made a very concerted effort in the first couple drives to to get it his way. And then I mean, the big one, third and 22, I think, on the second series. You know, And again, there was a lot of penalties early on. We can get into that a little bit, too, just on the offensive line. Uh, Eric Swinson called for a couple. Uh, RJ Proctor called for one. Adrian Ely called for all holding. And uh, I guess we should mention, too, that, you know, you mentioned Marquise Hayes didn't play after the game. Riley was asked about Hayes. Uh, it is an injury. Riley didn't go into any more details on what was going on uh, with Hayes. But uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I saw him on the, the field pregame. He was not dressed. The, I, you know, I don't anticipate it being anything serious, but that's just a hunch. I, you know, I don't have any information on it, but uh, it, did, it is an injury. And R.J. Proctor started at left guard. Swinson started at left tackle. So... The offensive line different in game two compared to game one. Yeah, you know, I don't want to overreact too much just to the one game. Uh, you know, I, I, I think we need to we need to hope that that Marquise Hayes doesn't doesn't miss too much time. Um, I, I think there's a there's a pretty big drop off between him and RJ Proctor, uh, like a, a fairly large one. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm not sure RJ Proctor's that that good. So um I, I just I'm not qualified, I think, to make those kind of thoughts on offensive linemen. I guess I, mean, yeah, I, I, I can I'm say more, when they are yeah, good. I, I'm I mean, not you as look well. at the guys last year. I'm not as well, yeah. But, I just they're they weren't uh, the left side of that offensive line was did not look great last night. And I don't yeah. know. I, I, I mean aside from like the rant, some of the holding penalty, I thought it was fine. I thought the offensive line was Yeah, I mean I'm I'm just good saying, again. Yeah, I mean they weren't they weren't horrible by any stretch. I mean they they certainly won a vast majority of the battles. I just I just saw some stuff that's slightly concerning. I mean, uh, Swinson and Proctor in the first half got beat a decent amount of times, just one on one, by South Dakota defensive linemen. That's you know, yeah. not. I mean, it could get better. Could get better. Like I mean, it's still, but ugh, that almost feels like a talent issue. And I'm just I'm like I say, I'm not saying panic, hit the panic button, but I don't know. I saw some things that concerned me. They didn't look great. Well, after the game, uh, again, you know, seventy to fourteen went over South Dakota. Not a whole lot to talk about the penalties. Riley briefly mentioned the penalties in his opening statement, and obviously that's it's a problem. I mean, oh, oh, you had twelve penalties for almost hundred yards. That's not good. It's most, not good. Like at I all. said, most penalties they've had in the last two seasons. I didn't go back to twenty sixteen, uh, but yeah, it's it's the most they've had. And so the their previous high was was ten, and they had done that in two games in the last two years, uh, both of them last year. So I would guess that at the Monday press conference, I bet penalties will be brought up again to, to Riley just because, I mean, he talked about penalties last week too afterwards about, you know, being aggressive and they're kind of more dumb penalties. This time it was more you know, a, lot of, a lot of holding type penalties. So I'm sure he'll be asked about that again. How do you clean that up going into UCLA? Let's see, what else? Uh, how about the, the skill position guys? I mean, we talked about Lamb a little bit. I mean, he looked really good. He's, you know, he's, he's a future 
probably a first round draft pick. I mean, who knows? And he's definitely a first round draft pick. His only question is where where will he go uh, next year? He's really good. I thought Kennedy Brooks, with again limited carries, looked like Kennedy Brooks looked very good. Trey Sermon's continuing to be steady. Uh, out of those skill position players, uh, the the non young guys, um, anything particular that that you'd like to discuss when it comes to them, or just kind of move on because they they are what they are. Yeah, I mean, I think they are what they are. Um, I don't think I don't think Calcaterra had any catches. He didn't seem to be a big part of the offense, but I don't think that's necessarily a big deal. Um, like I, I mean, I when you see Rambo run out there, he can run. He's fast, man. Rambo, yeah, yeah, he looks good, and I, I mean, it, it was cool that all the the, the three freshman receivers. It's cool that they all scored, and uh, it was good to see Bridges get in there and get some run a little bit. Uh, he had a little bit of burst on that uh, little catch and run that he had, where he kind of split the defenders and he showed off some speed. That was nice. Obviously, Weiss was really impressive, dragging like five guys into the end zone. Um, yeah, I mean, they 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 have just a, a wealth of talent in the receiving room. They're they're too deep is is unbelievably loaded in that regard, and uh, I mean they're even if they do have offensive line problems this season at times, it's just as long as they can get the ball outside to their receivers, they're going to be sitting pretty in in a in a vast majority of their games. Yeah, you mentioned earlier in the show that you think Hazelwood might be the already the second best player or receiver on the team and I think talent wise and, and yeah, he said, I, you know, with ball in hand, I, yeah, I agree. I mean, he, he clearly is special and I think all those, th- those three guys are incredibly special bridges. You saw it. I mean, we dragon guy. I mean, those guys are really, really good. It's just, they're young and they're still learning. Uh, I, I think the, the five star receiver, we're all excited about it. We saw the flashes Saturday night again against South Dakota, but I mean, talent is talent. It, it pops off the screen, and it was obvious with those players. It's just once they start to get more comfortable in the offense and Riley gets more comfortable putting them out there, they're going to get more run. And, and yeah, it's like you said, that too deep is great. Uh, and, and and I don't know if you have anything else you want to add to those guys, but it, I was just thinking in my head, you know, other players on the team, you know, who's, you know, Hazelwood, yeah, really talented. Bridges looked really talented. We talented. Who, the first two games, like, have we have we seen Lee Morris do anything? I mean, I don't think he's even. No, I don't think so. There's, there's been a lot of a lot of catches by guys, but I don't even think he's got a catch yet. He's been out there. I, I've seen him out there, but I, he doesn't have a catch. I don't think. So that's just and, it's tough for some of these these other players that are talented as well. But man, it's just the 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 wealth. They got a lot of depth. Uh, the embarrassment of riches at at that on the outside is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No, we'll 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 uh, we'll hear from Lee Morris at some point in time this year. You know, you just know he's going to make a huge play at some mm-hmm. point in time. So, and remember, I think what in 2017 with Baker, didn't he only have like five or six catches anyway that season? And it really wasn't. It was until, very few catches, and it seemed like a lot of them were touchdowns because that's what yeah. that was his mo. Is he so, scored a lot of touchdowns? There, there may have been a lot, you know, to last season with the the Kyler and Lee Morris connection, seeing as that they were, you know, they they played together in high school and whatnot. So maybe there was just more of a connection there. But I mean, it's been it's been two games and. and Hertz has thrown like what 40 passes so far so yeah not a whole lot and what we've if we've learned anything from Lincoln Riley since he's been the head coach and probably since he's been the offensive coordinator you could you could speak to this better than me because I wasn't watching as closely in 15 and 16 but uh, you know what you see early on in the year from the skill position guys whether it be wide receivers running backs aside from like the main guys that you know are like a CD lamb uh, you know, what you see the first two games you know, five, six games from now, it could be way different. There could be a whole new, different, you know, different personnel getting touches, being a huge part of the offense. Because Riley continues to always evolve and change, it seems like, as the season goes on. Uh, lastly, I mean, quarterbacks. Uh, I mean, obviously, we talked about Hurts, but we did see Tanner Mordecai play the third quarter. And then we saw Spencer Rattler get in for one series. Both of them looked really good. Their numbers were, were very good, each of them. Mordecai, six of eight. 114 yards, a couple touchdowns. I think he played two series, two or three. Uh, I mean, if you want to call it that, because like one of them, I think, was that Ramondre Stevenson touchdown run where it was just one play and done. But uh, Mordecai and Rattler, I you know, again, I didn't rewatch this at all, but Grant, just what I noticed, to me, Rattler in his one series just looked so much more comfortable than Mordecai did yep. early on. And he just, he looks like he's, Again, South Dakota, whatever, 
but it's just what you see as far as the offense kind of surveying the field, making throws, effortless throws. The arm strength is there. Spencer Rattler looks really good, and and I'm sorry, Tanner Mordecai. I, I think Rattler's a better player right now than than Mordecai is. Mordecai is just a, more of a veteran. As I say, I, I don't want to I don't want to put too much stock into this one game because you know when when Mordecai when when he threw the ball the the ball looked really good coming out of his hand and he was accurate for the most part and he had some zip on it. But you're right. I mean, Rattler just looks he, he looks like he looks like he's at home. In, in the offense, it, he he it didn't look like he was uncomfortable at all. Um, he's got a little more giddy up and a little more twitch than I expected when he was out in the open field running as well. Um, mm-hmm. I know people kind of talked about that he was a runner, but I figured I, I didn't really expect much in that regard. But he uh, just in that standpoint, he just looks like a lot better athlete than Tanner Mordecai does. And you know, I was yeah, I mean, I was I was impressed. Just in the, I think he only threw four passes, but. He looked very comfortable. He he looked like he knew exactly what he was doing, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I don't. The, the Sooners right now are not are not hurting in the backup quarterback department. I I think they can they can win games with probably both of those guys right now. I don't I don't know at an elite level, but they can certainly if they have to step in. I, I mm-hmm. don't think the offense is going to implode with either of those guys. You know, and perhaps my thoughts will change when I get a chance to go back and rewatch both of those guys again and and again I mean Mordecai look fine just I guess it stands out to me his first throw was into the dirt he just wasn't didn't seem very comfortable early on and uh, and then he kind of settled in and and he did look good I mean he had good numbers he threw the ball well the ball came out of his hand but then I mean with Rattler comes in hasn't played a college snap before and and he didn't have any of those kind of early hiccups I mean he just kind of boom right away easy throwing easy accurate uh, yeah, he. I think he did uh, made a good point. He looks like he's at home in this offense. And after the game, Riley mentioned that Rattler has done a lot of things behind the scenes, worked extra hard because he knows that he had a lot of catching up to do because he wasn't here in the spring. And uh, Riley made a point. I can't remember if it was last night or if it was earlier this week. At some point, that those five star receivers and including like Austin Stodner, he said, "Man, you know, I don't think they'd be where they are if they didn't get here in the spring. They didn't get in early." So that's incredibly important to get in with the program as soon as you possibly can. And Rattler didn't have that. And so Riley says that he's done you know as much as he can to kind of learn and, and go above and beyond to get caught up with the offense as soon as possible. And and his first uh, college passes, his first appearance, it looked really good. And you know who knows when we're going to see him again. But uh, that was fun for, for at least one drive. Well, I hope we can see him. You know, I, I hope we do see him. It's, it's possible they see him next week, to be honest with you. Uh, it's it's also possible we we see him in Lawrence in a few weeks as well, so uh, yeah he looked he looked good he he looked good South Dakota of course but um, just yeah the comfort in which he he was operating the offense was it, it was I'd be lying if I said it didn't it didn't catch my eye. All right, let's go over to the defense and again I'm going to disagree a bit with Grant saying that he thinks the defense took a bit of a step back on Saturday night. But before we talk about it, let's play some sound from Alex Grinch. Oklahoma forced three turnovers against South Dakota. Obviously, the talk all offseason has been about turnovers. And after getting zero last week, Grinch clearly happy to see some on Saturday. It's really good. And, and, and obviously, my frustration a week ago, uh, you know, I, and I, I didn't hide it. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's something that has to continue for us to play the, the type of defense uh, that, that we want to play around here. Um, and so it was, it was kind of a, uh, I don't know, you, t- you kind of rip the Band-Aid off type of deal, and you, you get one, and you kind of um, you see how it, how it stalls the drive. You see how it, it, it impacts in terms of getting the ball back to the offense. And you know, what, what you hope is that it becomes infectious. It's something that uh, um, you know, we've, we've seen in practice. I think the buy-in has been good in terms of the guys you know, wanting to do it. But certainly you got to do it and then perform on, uh, on Saturday nights. And uh, uh, it, it was good to, to get three. It was good to, to obviously have a scoring play on defense. Um, and so that, uh, that's a positive and something that's got to continue. All right, so obviously Grinch excited about the turnovers. Three last night, three on Saturday. Uh, we finally saw Oklahoma force some, Grant. Uh, I mean, I, I found it interesting because we've off the air discussed this, a little bit on the air, but you're, you're one that calls turnovers, you know, especially fumbles. It's, it's a lot of luck involved, and I don't disagree that there's luck involved. We actually have a soundbite later on in the show with Grinch kind of addressing how lucky turnovers are, which I think is interesting we can talk about later. But I thought it was kind of funny that the first one Oklahoma gets this year is a fumble that Neville Gallimore forced. He got his left arm in there, poked the ball out, and the ball was just kind of bouncing around on the field, and it seemed like three or four different guys had a chance to get it. 
And of course, it's Brendan Radley Hiles jumping on it at the end for the turnover. So I thought that was kind of funny. Did you take that away from Oklahoma's first turnover that you kind of, of course, it's a fumble that anybody could have gotten? Sure. Yeah. I mean, that just, that illustrates my point perfectly. If the, if, if the physics of the situation just change by a little bit and the ball bounces a different direction, South Dakota recovers that. And it's nothing. It's just a forced fumble with no with no turnover, and it doesn't matter. So I, I just I I I'll bang the drum all day long on fumbles. I, I think I I I won't I won't say that fumbles are all luck. I'm sure there you know there's some nuance there, but it it's largely luck. Uh, I I don't I don't think the same way about like interceptions and whatnot. With interceptions, you still have to make a play on the ball, and that's and OU did that last night. They finally did that, and you know what? There were. There were a bunch of instances last season as well where they were in position to make a play on the ball and they just and they just choked and didn't do it, um, and that didn't happen last night. So, you know, there's there, there is there there's a lot of fortune that uh, that goes into all of this. And over the course of college football, a lot of the times, if you have a season in which you don't force a lot of turnovers, uh, the next season it evens out because that's just kind of how it works. And uh, I don't know. I, I expect I expect this season probably a lot more a lot more bounces are going to go their way just because that's how that's how odds work. Oh, okay. Like I, it's theory. yeah. I, I mean I it's it's great. Like make make plays on the ball in the air. There there's definitely skill involved there. Um, like for instance, last night if you if if anybody you know if anyone watched LSU in Texas, uh, especially in the first half, those LSU D backs were making a lot of really athletic good plays on the ball. And there, I mean, there's a lot of skill involved there, but you know, fumbles. I mean, get out of here with that. It's 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 luck. You should never ever count on fumbles ever. All right, let's table that because uh, again, we have a interesting soundbite from Alex Grinch talking about turnovers in general and and luck, how much luck's involved, and things like that. Uh, before though, we move on to the the rest of the defensive talk. Let's just hear from Brendan Radley Hiles, the guy who jumped on the first turnover of the year, and then got the second turnover with a pick six later. This is his thoughts uh, after you know jumping on that fumble uh, on Saturday night and just kind of all the emotions that went into it uh, after the play. It was electrifying, man, just getting up from the, uh, from, the, from the fumble recovery and just seeing everybody's fists go up was a great experience. You just, you just feel really proud of yourself, proud of your team. You know, I was looking for Grinch to give him the ball, but I kind of like took off in the wrong direction, so I couldn't find him. So the second time, I tried to make sure I get him that ball. All right, so that's Brendan Radley-Hiles. Good to see him have a nice night. He needed that. Uh, You know, he's – I don't know what to say. Part of me is like, okay, it's – again, it's South Dakota, but you made a a comment a moment ago about how the Oklahoma had chances last year to make plays on the ball, and they they didn't for the most part. I mean, Radley-Hiles dropped at least one – possible pick six last year if not two and he didn't drop this one and a big reason why he was able to make that play on Saturday night it was a, a third down play let me pull up my notes here because I, I charted it it was a third and long and it was one of those situations where across the board OU had both their corners up on the line of scrimmage playing press they had Radley Hiles up on the line of scrimmage and it was a great play because Radley Hiles got a hand on his guy and they were trying to run that screen with the outside receiver. I believe it was Parnell Motley's man. It was either Motley or Brown and Radley Hiles recognized the guy trying to go inside. And so he went off of his man because he realized that the outside receiver was going for the screen pass and his instincts kicked in and he stepped in front of the the pass and took it to the house. And this is where we always said that he is at his best when he's playing like a cornerback man coverage, uh, up on the line, one-on-one with a guy, because that's where his his talents jumped off the screen in high school. And he made a play, and he, after the game, kept talking about over and over again, he was praising the coaching staff for putting all of the guys in good position to make plays. So uh, that was a nice play by Radley Hiles. So good on him for getting that pick six. And he seems a lot more comfortable, it kind of goes without saying, in this defense. Yeah, I, I mean, that was a good play. It was something – he recognized it early, right after the ball was snapped. He fought through the garbage, and he housed it. It was a really good play. Um, you know, I, I thought – in fact, I, I, thought, I thought Buki outside – I mean, he was probably the person that I had the least amount of gripes with on the defense over the course of the uh, – outside of the, def- the defensive line was, was fairly dominant. Uh, but, you know, yeah, I, I thought Buki had a good game. 
it'd be really nice if the light kind of comes on for him. And also, it helps that he makes plays when they put him in a situation like that because it's only going to help. You know, we, we say that he's at his best when he's near the line of scrimmage. He's got to show the coaches that is the case by making plays when he's close to the line of scrimmage. And he did that last night. And so I hope that they continue to do that because, you know, putting your players in the best position, that's not something that was always a cinch the last four, five, six seasons. And uh, speaking of being close to the line of scrimmage, he was talking about that last night. I don't have the sound, but just kind of explaining why he's more comfortable in this defense. He talked about how he he is kind of closer to the ball now compared to last year. Because last year he played a lot of strong safety. I know he kind of played a little bit of nickel here and there, but mostly he was back playing strong safety. And now at that nickel spot, he talked about how he's playing a lot of man. He's playing a lot of zone. Sometimes he's up playing like a gap scheme, like a linebacker. So they're asking him to do a lot, but for whatever reason – this defense, everyone keeps talking about how simple it is. So it, there's not a whole lot going through his head. He seems to know what he's doing, and, and it's, it's showing so far through two games. He looks pretty darn good. Uh, let's get, so let's get into what I kind of teased at the start. You mentioned at, at the beginning that you think the defense took a bit of a step back. Yeah. You, would you like to crystallize? Okay, so you're, you're going to stand behind that. So the reason why, you know, upon rewatch, again, you didn't rewatch it. Yeah, I, I haven't watched. I, yeah, the, it wasn't it. Ha, it wasn't made available to rewatch on the Sooner Sports sure. website until until like half an hour ago. So wasn't able to. So I think the defense was just fine because I'm gonna pull out. It was a tale of of the first nine drives of the game compared to the final four drives after Oklahoma, I believe, had gone up either forty nine to nothing. Or fifty six to nothing. I can't. Did they get to fifty six nothing, or maybe it was just forty nine? It was forty nine nothing. And yeah, like I'm not. Please just kind of let me. I, I'm not saying that the sky is falling. I just there were more things that I saw in this game that worried me than I did in the Houston game. That that's it. See, I didn't see that because in the first nine drives, whenever they were clearly playing really well, and and I know that we talked about last podcast about how you know if the scoreboard changes the way that you compete then you got a problem I they were playing a bunch of extra guys late in that game when they were up by you know five six seven touchdowns they weren't uh, you know really at full strengths so I I was annoyed by that South Dakota offense late in the game the how they were finally able to move the ball and then score a couple touchdowns but put it this way Grant in the first nine drives of the game Oklahoma faced 34 plays allowed 117 yards, only 3.4 yards per play. And then the next four drives, the last four drives, they gave up 237 yards on 29 plays, 8.1 yards per play. And that was more with some of the twos in, but you know, I, I think they were still mixing in some of the starters here and there. So it wasn't all backups playing. So if you're going to get kind of uneasy about something, it's that. And Here's my main concern. So I guess my point is that I don't think they took a step back because when the game was really on the line and they were still playing strong, they, the defense played well and they got stops. And, and I think that first turnover, they got it at, a, at an opportune spot whenever South Dakota was moving the ball a little bit and they forced a turnover after South Dakota was getting close to the red zone. So it was an opportune turnover that they forced for the first time, which was nice. Yeah, I guess so I just, I, you don't yeah. you don't see these other elite programs give this stuff up when the game is in is in doubt. And that's mm-hmm. the gap right now. You, you just don't see it. So, I mean, what's, what's the issue? And it's not yeah. like... So, my biggest issue with the defense in this game is just way too it's much a depth space. depth issue, then. Way too much space given to the receivers. And every time they gave them space, South Dakota was able to complete passes pretty easily in this game. And um, that was South Dakota's game plan. It was get the ball out quick because... And this is what Alex Grinch talked about after the game. When you could see it on tape is that they had a ton of respect for Oklahoma's defensive line. They didn't want to give those guys a chance to get after the quarterback and get some sacks. And, and we saw a guy like Jalen Redmond, who had some good A-gap pressures, and he forced a, a, uh, an intentional grounding late in the second quarter. <clears throat> and by the way, he got the start over uh, Leron Stokes, but, I mean, they're an or, so it's not that big of a deal uh, in the defensive tackle position. But I think the space thing you brought up is a fair criticism because what I have noticed is, that I, again, I charted all the times that Oklahoma had at least one corner up at the line of scrimmage. And again, it was almost every single snap I saw in the first you know, two quarters and then change in the third quarter. And Parnell Motley is playing almost every single snap up at the line of scrimmage. I mean, he is a guy that they're just saying, you know what, you do your thing, you play up. I mean, there's only maybe 
less than five snaps that Parnell Motley was not up on the line on his guy. Uh, Trey Brown playing up on the line quite a bit. But here's the thing, though, with the space. When there's a, a slot player, it's usually the, the, either the you know, Pat Fields covering or maybe sometimes it's Radley Hiles and Nickel covering. They usually give that guy quite a bit of space unless, you know, and then third downs, they kind of move up, move up and play press. I think that's where there's too much space. And South Dakota was taking advantage of that a lot with a quick passing game and taking advantage of the, the giant cushion that the safety would allow because the safety is responsible probably for a deep path or deep third or whatever it is, and he's not up on the line of scrimmage because then you're, you're opening yourself up for a deep play. And that's where I do have a little bit of concern going into Big 12 play, teams seeing that and then taking advantage of that and, and kind of just quick passes to that, that receiver that doesn't have a, a guy on him for at least 10 yards. Exactly. I mean, so that, th- is a, and this that is a problem. Yeah, I mean, this is my biggest issue because, and like I said in the opening take, a lot of this was on the safeties. And, I, you know, I... And I know you can't bring up your safeties and put them, you know, and have them jam the receivers every time. I, I, I get that. And so, you know, what's the solution? Because, like, I, is it, are the safeties just, just really, generally just not very good in, in pass coverage? They just don't have a lot of instincts. They don't close on the ball very quickly. I mean, is, it, is that what it is? Because I, I think that might be the case. And if, if that is the case, that is no bueno for, for Big 12 play. Um, I, like I said, I, I think they have a, they may have a pretty big issue at safety. And one of the reasons why it's concerning is because when you go to the second team safeties, which in this game was Robert Barnes and Justin Broyles, they weren't much better. In fact, they were in a lot of ways, they were quite a bit worse than DTY and fields. And so it's not like that second team secondary, they're not super light. Uh, I mean, they're, they got a lot of guys there that have experience and they weren't good. And so, I mean, that's, ugh, I'm, that's not good. It's just they. South yeah, Dakota, that's fair. Yeah, that's a fair assessment. Like I, I, there needs to be. You have to judge this relative to everything else. South Dakota is a bad football team. They're not good. They, in a lot of ways, Montana last last week had more success defending them than OU did, and that's not good. That's unacceptable. So like I, mm, I, I can. I, I don't know if I'd go that that far. I mean. So like I, I can't. Yeah, no, I mean there are there's certainly some question marks. Like the the safety position, I'm not that concerned of it right now because I think the safeties, the starting safeties, have played pretty well the first two games. I mean, dumb penalties in the first game against Houston, take those away, and you know, OU probably only allows something like you know 17 points, you know, maybe 24. But uh, it's fair to be concerned. I mean, it's fair to be concerned about any part of Oklahoma defense. What we've seen the last handful of years. I guess no matter, uh, but I I don't think it was as as shaky. I guess as, as maybe you thought because I, I was really encouraged by the the first uh, the the large portion of the the game when it was still not in doubt. But I mean the guys were obviously playing and they know that hey we got to show something out here. I don't know. I'm just you don't you don't see the Bamas and the Georgias and the Ohio States and the Clemsons of the world giving up chunk plays like that to South Dakota. And I, I'm not necessarily chunk plays, but. In the second half, South Dakota moved the ball, like, kind of really easily. And, I mean, that's just, that's not good. No matter who you're playing, that just doesn't, that just, it's, it's not a good look. All right, so let's get into the turnovers and the luck factor, because I have this soundbite from Grinch. It's kind of long, and uh, I believe you're going to hear Clay Horning in this as well from the Norman transcript, but uh, it's kind of long, but I think it's interesting and it might lead to a bit of a discussion. And then we'll, we'll kind of close out the show today, but here's Alex Grinch Saturday night again on turnovers. What you can't do is say that it's luck. You know, it, 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 it's the equivalent of throwing up a three pointer and say, if it goes in, you got lucky. If it doesn't go in, well, you know, sometimes they fall, sometimes they don't. There's a skill to it. And so that, that's just something that we got to continue to evaluate. But certainly you're right. I mean, you know, but, but the, the reality is if you don't try, you won't get, you know. Opening week, um, like, was the intention correct? Even if- 
I, I was disappointed with the lack of gang tackle, the, the lack of the second and third guy, fourth guy, because a lot of times that's when it comes out. It's not necessarily the first guy at the point of attack. And kind of the willingness to, you know, be the, the second guy there and, okay, we're just falling on the pile as opposed to uh, as opposed to making the play. And still seeing it, you know, when, when the ball's completed, uh, you know, underneath our defense, just that, that want to in terms of what a great opportunity uh, for 11 guys to run out to the football uh, to, to, to strip that ball out. You know, one of the things we tell the guys, best case scenario, they throw it to you. That doesn't always happen. You can't control that piece of it. The second best thing that could ever happen is they catch the ball in front of you because then that allows 11 guys to run the football and strip the ball out. And I don't, I don't know that we, could, we, we conceptually uh, f- uh, um, buy into that completely yet. There's that moment of, oh, they caught a ball. Okay, they, they caught a ball. Now we have a chance to, to get the ball back. Um, so that's something that as coaches we got to continue to create. So, Grant, a lot of things in there. And the second part of his answer he was referencing the Houston game because the question was, did you see what you needed to see as far as trying to force turnovers against Houston? It just it just didn't work out, obviously, because there's no turnovers against Houston. And that's what it kind of led into the the part where he the gang tackling wasn't there last week. And you know maybe it was more there against South Dakota. And so I found it interesting, the thought process of he kind of addressed something that you've mentioned about interceptions. Like, yeah, sometimes I throw it to you and that's you can't really control that, but that's kind of what you want. But also, the things you can control is when a ball is completed in front of you, then it's a great opportunity for 11 guys to get there, make a tackle, and make a play and get the ball out and get the ball back to the offense. And so he's, you know, his thing is that you try for turnovers. It's something that you work on, and you, you just bang it into the team because you have to go for it. Because if you don't try, like you said, then you're not going to get them. And so – Again, there's a little bit of luck, but I, my contention is that I think you, your thought of how much luck is involved with turnovers is, is higher than, than, uh, than it really is. I, I think there's, there's some luck, but I think a lot of it is skill and getting that ball out. Because, again, I watched a lot of Chicago Bears football my, over my life, and the Bears emphasized forcing turnovers back in the Lovey Smith days and punching the ball out, getting the ball out, and, and they forced a lot of turnovers back in the day because they were just really good at it. And so I think a defense can be really good at doing that. And that's what Grinch is trying to get them to understand that you can do this. Let's go. Yeah, I, I guess my – I suppose we, we, we need to agree to disagree to some, you know, in, in some respect here. I, my issue is with fumbles. It's just I, I don't think it's a, good, it's a good gauge to judge a defense if they force fumbles. I'm just saying statistically, historically, fumbles are largely random. That's all I'm saying. And that it's here's my in in terms of interceptions, yeah, all for it. In interceptions, there's a skill involved there. But I I just I'm not going to use fumbles as a gauge to say this defense is doing a good job or not because it's random and it's luck. It's largely luck. I I just I I don't know what else. Next episode, next episode, you need to bring me some of this, some of these studies that talk about how random and lucky fumbles are because I I don't know, I haven't seen any of these. So fumble luck, Uh, it's a thing. Uh, anything else on the defense you want to get into? Uh, no, I, I just covered. I, one thing I want to point out: Kenneth Murray totally disappeared. He didn't really impact the game at all, if, that I recall. He had a couple nice plays early on in the game. He made a third and one stop, forced a fourth yeah, down punt. Sure, uh, uh, there's he one had a tackle for loss, sack, tackle for loss, kind mm-hmm. of. I think before uh, Radley Hiles' pick six, he had a nice play. There's one play uh, standing out in my mind that it looked like just Kenneth Murray of 2017 and 2018, where. Uh, it was a it was a quick short pass out to the out to the boundary, and uh, the rece- and uh, Murray was flowing that way, and the receiver just made one small little quick cut and left Murray's jock strap just hanging out onto the field, and it was a terrible angle, and he he looked bad. Do do you, are, do you remember that play? Yeah, I, I remember that play. I I just don't get that that concerned or mad about plays like that because I just I just know how difficult it is to make open field tackles. And it's just it's really difficult. So I mean, yeah, you want these guys that are supposed to be your best player. They got to make more of them. But you know, if they start getting stacked on top of each other, then I get you know concerned. But you know, a one off here and there, I, I'm not that. That doesn't bother me because, again, knowing what it's like, Grant, not even close to this level of play, but just knowing what it's like to play football out there. I mean, one on one tackling is so difficult. Whenever the the offensive guy knows where he's going, and you're like, all right, well, this guy's super shifty and. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, man. I just that's got to do my best. I would be, yeah, I would be more willing to just shrug it off if it wasn't something that we've seen from him consistently the last two seasons. 
Um, and I'm also, more concerned about like when he looks lost in coverage. Yeah. You know, like whenever the you know, when a guy makes a catch and he can't make. Okay, yeah, that's that's one thing. But I mean, he's also he been terrible like tackling in the open field. He's never been good at that. Well, he was very good against Houston. Yeah, and then so, and then, I mean, and then Houston can, comes out yesterday and is terrible against Prairie View A and M. So, eh, I don't know. I, I saw Houston. I, they were up like thirty-one to three. And yeah. then somehow they only ended up winning like 37 to Seven, 17. 37 to 17. Derek King only threw for like 150 yards. So it's it's possible their passing offense is is broken. Yeah, yeah it's I kind of, you know, we'll monitor Houston the rest of the year, but you know, who knows you know, why they so, weren't able I, to. I don't know. I just saw there was, and like, you know, yeah, over the course of the game, OU on defense won many more battles than they lost. I just... I saw some reoccurring things that have popped up over the last couple years, and it's just a little more concerning when it happens against a bad FCS team, is all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you've been burned so much. You're just you're not willing to give in. No, you know what, I, to I'm be not. fair, after two weeks last year, we were pretty confident about the Oklahoma defense, weren't we? Yeah, and I'm just, I'm just so. I'm not falling into that same trap again. I'm not at all. So, I mean, they're, they're going to have to show me uh, much more consistency, and it, d- it doesn't really look like we're gonna we're gonna get a ton of answers next week because, geez, UCLA might be in worse shape offensively this season than they were coming into the game last year. I don't even know how that's possible. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to go back and watch how they lost to San Diego State, but uh, man, that's doesn't look good. Uh, before we we go though, I I do think we should mention one other guy in defense who was was very good, Jaden Davis. Yes, an interception. He was good and. Yeah, and uh, Alex Grinch did talk a little bit more about Davis after the game, saying that uh, he he has he's earned this playing time based on the way he's played in camp, and he's a he's a mature type player for you know being a true freshman. And uh, he did say he made the point to say that you're going to see a lot more Jaden Davis moving forward. Good. So he's a guy that I think he he may have. I mean, it's Motley Brown, and and he may have overtaken maybe Jordan Parker as that third corner. Jordan Parker hasn't been point. very good. In, in, in these last two games that I've seen. so um, And, like, it, this is a relative. He hasn't been bad by any stretch of the imagination, but he just hasn't, he just hasn't been particularly impactful, whereas Jaden Davis looks like a bulldog out there. He, he finds plays to make, it looks like. So he's always around the ball. And, yeah, I, I won't be upset to see more of him at all. Okay, that does it for today. Oklahoma out west next week in L.A. to play well, that UCLA team who is now 0-2, just lost to San Diego State 23-14. to Grant, remember, though, this is your trap game for Oklahoma on the schedule, right? Yeah. Um, in that regard, it could be similar to, remember, two years ago when they went into Baylor? That was also my trap game, and Baylor was looking terrible. And then that, that game was definitely... Man, Baylor was really bad, yeah. Yeah, that, that game was And they almost beat Oklahoma. Uh, yeah, that, that, was not a, uh, that was not an easy game for them, so... I hope it doesn't happen again. If, <laughs> if if UCLA comes out and goes up and down the field, then you know we got some problems. All right, we'll be back later this week to talk OU-UCLA. Plus, we'll give our thoughts on the rest of uh, the landscape of college football. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.